Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll be looking at Romans chapter 9. If you have a Bible with you, turn to Romans 9 and follow along while I read the first five verses. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, and the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. At times in this letter to the Romans, Paul has been very critical of the Jewish nation, to the point that some folks thought Paul had written them off and there was no hope for them. And it may have even seemed at times like he didn't care. But Paul wants all of his readers to know that he is deeply grieved for the condition of Israel as a nation. His grief is constant and deep, and he would rather himself be cut off from Christ than the nation of Israel. He doesn't understand why, as a group, they've rejected their Messiah, because they had received so many blessings from God that pointed them to Jesus. But their rejection does not mean that the word of God had failed. As Paul had said in the previous chapter, God works all things together for those who do love God, who are willing to submit to his will. And so God takes the rejection of these people who should have known better and uses it for something good. And so Paul is going to explain the condition of Israel and how God is using it to bring about a greater good. He is going to show a different perspective on the stories and history of Israel to show that God had a plan the entire time that would allow him to rescue all the nations of the world, even if the Jewish people failed to follow him. First off, Paul wants to make sure that everyone understands who the children of God are. Many Jews thought that that title belonged to them strictly because they had been born as a descendant of Abraham. But Paul starts off with the two sons of Abraham and says that it's not true that just because you're a descendant of Abraham, you're a child of God. There was Jacob and Esau, one of those children God had chosen, and the other he had not. The difference was that Isaac had been born of the promise. So Paul says that everyone who is born of that promise is a child of God. But for the fulfillment of that promise, God had to choose someone through whom the promise would be fulfilled. And he chose Jacob over Esau at a time when neither of them had done anything, good or bad. But God chose to work out his purpose through Jacob. This wasn't because Jacob had earned something or because God did not care about what happened to Esau, but God made a sovereign choice to begin fulfilling the promise he made to Abraham through his son Isaac. 
verse 13, as it's translated into English, sounds very harsh. It says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Please know that this doesn't mean that God didn't care what happened to Esau and his descendants. He actually made them many promises as well. What it's intending to convey here is that God showed special favor to the descendants of Jacob that he didn't show to Esau. You can see this play out in Malachi's prophecy in Malachi 1 verses 2 and 3. We read that the Edomites had experienced the judgment of God and their nation had been destroyed because of their idolatry. At the same time, Israel was guilty of idolatry, but they didn't experience God's wrath in the same severe way at that time. God was still working in them to bring about his purposes and to fulfill his promise. While Israel deserved the same punishment as the descendants of Esau, God withheld that judgment until a time when his promise had been fulfilled because he had chosen to fulfill that promise through the descendants of Jacob. As we hear Paul explaining this, we may think, hey, that's not fair. If Israel was doing the same things that Esau's descendants were doing, shouldn't they have been punished in the same way at the same time? That would have been fair. And if that's not fair, does that mean that God is unjust? Paul anticipates that line of thinking, so let's pick up his discussion in verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Rhetorically, Paul asks, is God unjust? And his answer is no. God can have mercy and show compassion on anyone he wants to. He is God. He has that choice. And he uses Pharaoh as an example. If you go back to Genesis chapter 9, you see the part of the story that Paul is referring to. Pharaoh is told that he has been elevated to a place of prominence and power just for God's purposes. God knew exactly how he would handle it, and it would give him an opportunity to show his power to Israel and to the world. The Pharaoh had not been a good or a just man. He actually deserved to be destroyed by the plagues that had killed so many of the Egyptians. But God preserved him because God had a purpose. Even though he had a hard heart and was rejecting God, God allowed him to experience mercy for a period of time so that God could finish the purpose he had in displaying his power to Israel as he was calling them to follow him. So if God pours out blessings, or if he chooses to withhold them, it's his sovereign choice. It's not a question of whether or not he likes someone better than someone else, or if someone has earned a particular spot in God's heart. It's God choosing the situation that will best accomplish his will. 
There's another story in the Old Testament that I think illustrates this. If you look at the time when Moses sent out 12 spies to spy out the land of Canaan, and they came back with their report, 10 spies said that there was no way we could do this. And the people were afraid of the report that they had given, and they believed them, and they decided they couldn't fight those battles in Canaan, that they would lose. And so God caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But there were two men who gave a faithful report, who said, God has promised us this land and he will give it. They were Joshua and Caleb. We know a lot about Joshua because he rose to prominence after the death of Moses. He was in charge of the nation of Israel, and he led them into battle and helped them settle the promised land. God chose Joshua to do that. But there was another man with him, Caleb, who had done the same thing, who had accomplished the same thing that Joshua did. But God didn't choose him to fulfill that role. And when we read about Caleb after this event, we see a man who is still wholeheartedly following God, not because God gave him a special title or authority or privilege, but because God was God. God had spared him to this point, and God had made him promises that he had yet to experience, and he was going to experience them because he trusted God's sovereign choices. Paul, knowing that we may struggle dealing with those choices from time to time, uses another Old Testament story to make the similar point, that there is a way to deal with what God has chosen. So let's pick up his teaching in verse 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people, and her who was not my beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it is said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sands of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. As Paul here is talking about God's sovereign choices, he admits that some people may be thinking, why does God bother to pass judgment on us if he's picking and choosing who he's going to work with and how things are going to turn out? But he wants to make sure that we understand that most of the time, if we are thinking this way, it's because we have a very poor perspective about God. We're making assumptions about what God should do that may not be accurate. We may be making assumptions about what we deserve that may not be accurate. And so when we're tempted to say, what's the use? We first have to be reminded that we can't blame God if things aren't the way we expect them to be. 
our expectations are not the standard, God's are. If things are unfolding the way he wants, that's the way they're supposed to be. The problem is not God's, the problem's ours. We have to align ourselves with his will, not the other way around. Also, our circumstances can't be an excuse when we fail to submit to God's will. We can't say, because this is what God did or what God did not do, I have an excuse for not obeying God. Very often, the circumstances we find ourselves in are the result of our choices, not God. So it's certainly not fair to blame him for the mess that we're in. But if we are in a circumstance in which God placed us because he wants us to help advance his kingdom, to help accomplish his will, we should be eager to do that and not use our circumstances as an excuse not to do what he's called us to do. Our problem is very often that we put ourselves in the place of God, and we want to make the decision about who deserves to be punished and who deserves to be rewarded, and what that should look like and how it should go. And when it doesn't play out the way we've imagined, we think somehow God's let us down. But we need to be reminded that it is okay if God withholds his wrath or his judgment from someone who will eventually be lost. If he extends to them that kind of mercy, it's to bring about his will, whether it's an opportunity for that person to repent or it's an opportunity for him to show his power when that person or circumstance is humbled in his presence. God very often withholds the punishment that he could execute as a way at a later point to show even greater power. And in doing that, he reveals his glory to those who are prepared for glory, whether they are Jew or Gentile. And remember, this is the thing that he's talking about. This idea of Jews having special status, thinking that they're privileged in some way because they've been connected to God for longer, because God used them in a special way. But what they weren't remembering is that God was using them for his purposes to bring even the Gentiles into his family. And so Paul reminds them of the story of Hosea, the prophet, who was asked to marry Gomer. And the third child that he had with her was called Loami, not my people. So in the story, this child, literally called not my people, is beloved by his father. And God says, that's exactly the way I feel about all of the other nations. He loved the Hebrew people, but his desire for them was to be a part of his plan to draw all of the other nations to him as well, so that everyone would have the opportunity to be called sons of the living God. Paul also reminds his readers that very often when we talk about people getting what they deserve can apply to us as well. And if we all get what we deserve, none of what God wants to happen will happen because we will have all been destroyed. Paul looks at a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 10, verses 20 through 23, where Isaiah is prophesying about a return from exile, being rescued, being saved from their exile. And in the quote he gives us here, he's basically saying, if God had given us what we deserved— We wouldn't have had a single offspring left. We would be like Sodom and Gomorrah, and there would be no Jewish people. That didn't fit God's purposes. God intended for the Jewish people to bring about his Messiah. Jesus would be born through the lineage of David. So he preserved Israel even in their idolatry, even though there were other nations that were destroyed as a result of theirs. 
God was, in fact, blessing the whole world and fulfilling his promise to Abraham, not because of the Jewish people, but in spite of the Jewish people. He was preserving them, even though they were doing things that should have destroyed them. So rather than invading armies, destroying them, they were taken into exile. Rather than that exile lasting forever and them being dispersed among the other nations and losing their identity, they were able to return and reestablish their homeland, all because God had shown mercy to them. So Paul concludes his thoughts with the last few verses of the chapter. Starting in verse 30, he says, What shall we say then? that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Paul's conclusion is that many Gentiles were finding God, while many Jews were not. And the difference between the two was faith. There were some who were looking to cause God to be indebted to them because they had done work that deserved a wage. There were others that realized that there was nothing that they could do to earn anything. So they humbly submitted to God, willing to do whatever he asked, because they trusted him. The first group was trying to get something for themselves, to try to bend God to their will. The second was humbly submitting to the will of God. And in the end, those Jews who were not able to accept Jesus as the Messiah were tripping over the very thing that would end their exile or their separation from God. This has been a long chapter, and we've covered a lot of territory, but here's what we need to make sure we take away from this chapter. One is that God's word has not failed. It is still active. Second, God will choose to save all those who respond to his purpose, but all of his choices are based on those purposes and not ours. What Paul is ultimately saying is that God will not save us just because we feel like we deserve it. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.